welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is what? What does it look like? How is it formed? Is it here at hand? It was when Christ was here, and he appointed it to his apostles. He said he was going to take it away from the Pharisees and give it to another, so I assume that's the apostles. And he gave them all kinds of instructions about what and how they were to operate. He was actually telling them how a particular form of government, a unique form of government, can operate. It's going to take a certain kind of people to form that government and to be a part of that government, and that government is the society of the kingdom. Society, what is society? Society is just how people relate to one another. You know, Campbell societies, they relate in a particular way. In most nations, you know, socialist societies are cannibalistic societies. They eat their neighbors. They force their neighbors to give their blood, their sweat, their toil to provide the benefits of that society. They call it taxes. It's their sacrifice. Social Security tax. It's a tax. It's not a premium on an insurance program. When you pay into Social Security, you're not paying into Social Security for your future. You're paying in for the people who are collecting Social Security that day, that week, that month, that year. You're taking care of the needy of your society with your Social Security payment. That's where it goes. It doesn't go into a bank deposit where it will be there for your retirement. Your retirement will be taken care of by the children of your society today. When they grow up, they will take care of you. Is that the way God said to do it? When he said, honor thy father and thy mother, the word honor there means to fatten, to take care of, to provide for. You are to provide for your elderly. And occasionally you're going to have members of your society. I, I use the word member very loosely here because I'm not talking about a corporate society. I'm just talking about the way in which you relate to other people. You will have members of that society, participants in that society, that don't have any children. Their children die. Their children are never born. And you still need to take care of those members. Those are the needy, the widows and orphans of your society, the people without family. To take care of them, you need to take care of them. And that is what pure religion is defined as, is those who take care of them, unspotted by the world. And that world is constitutional orders and systems of government. That word world is including those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You are to take care of the needy of your society without the compulsory control of socialist states. Like the United States government is a socialist state. It is. Your education is socialist. Your police department is socialist. Your fire department is socialist. Here in this community, we don't have a fire department except for a volunteer fire department. We really don't have police. I was telling some visitors here about a case where we had somebody who 
young men, 21, 22 years old, were visiting a 14-year-old girl staying at home alone <laughs> while her parents were gone. And uh, they had been there earlier and drunk, and I told them to get lost. And they left, and they came back late at night. And I went over and extricated them from the house and threw them out. <laughs> they actually, they went out and left. Long story, make it short. They left in their underwear. <laughs> they weren't even carrying their pants. I don't know where their pants were. I never did go look for them. <laughs> but they left in their underwear. They drove away in their underwear. <laughs> it was a chilly night. But before I went over there and extricated them, and removed them uh, uh, from the, my neighbor's house because I knew the father wasn't going to like this story when he heard it. But anyway, uh, uh, I called the police. One of the nearest policemen was 120 miles away, and he said, well, we don't have anybody in your area. It's state troopers. And I says, well, that's, and he says, I don't know what I can do, the state trooper said. I says, well, I ain't asking you to do anything. I'm just letting you know I'm going to go and kick those guys out. <laughs> and he said, okay, call me when you're done. That's what he said. Now, that was, it's a long story. We'll tell it at the retreat if somebody wants to hear it again. But there was a lot of interesting things about that story, a lot of spiritual power operating in this uh, event. And uh, where did it come from, you know? Uh, where did the authority come that I could do what I did and got rid of those guys and made them leave? Uh, it, you know, it's actually kind of bizarre. But really it isn't. It's common in the kingdom where you deal with violent situations and you deal with them with impunity because you have an extra power that's operating on your side. And... Other people don't understand that because you don't really live in the kingdom. Once you start living in it, then the kingdom ways are not so bizarre. They're commonplace. Spiritual events are commonplace. Spiritual power is commonplace. But in your society, you think there isn't any power unless you've got a gun, or unless you've got uh, you know, an army of people, unless you have a strong central leader to make things right. No, that isn't that isn't the strength of real society. The strength of real society is a spiritual strength. But that spiritual strength comes from God and it will not come to you unless you have the character of God. And it isn't in the character of God to force you to do what's right. It's in the character of Satan to force you to do what's right. It's in the character of Satan to get you to contract with him where he has the right to compel you to do what's right. Remember, the word Satan just means adversary. Adversary to what? Adversary to the nature of man as he was meant to be, a free soul under God. Anyone who is adverse to, is the adversary. Those of you who have listened to our videos and audios on Romans 13 know that let every man remain subject to the higher right to choose, the higher liberty. Because all liberty is of God, there is no liberty but of God. And anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. That's the adversary. Governments are instituted to punish the wicked. 
and they're usually instituted by the wicked. <laughs> this is why Samuel gives this big long speech to his society that if you elect a leader who can exercise power, central authority, a king, whatever you want to call him, someone who has the power to, you give him the power to do your job. He's going to come and he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. He's going to take your sons and take your daughters, take your lands, take the first fruits of your labor. He's going to do that. And he is doing that in almost every nation throughout the world. And as we said on Blog Talk, what nation do you see that doesn't operate on individual self-interest? But when you start to understand Christ, you understand that if you really have self-interest in mind, in the ways of Christ, you want to give up your life so that you may have life more abundant. And you will start to gather with other men so that you can do that, so that you can have a life more abundant in self-interest. You will be unselfish in a self-interest of Christ. Now, you cannot do that without Christ in you, but Christ will not come in you unless you turn around and start in that direction. So we form congregations of record where we're saying, we're going to watch out for the needy in this little free assembly called a congregation. This is the way the first century church operated. The elders of families, the presbyters of families, got together and said, we're going to be the buddy system times ten. In order to do this, we need somebody who will attend to this full time. Because it was health, education, and welfare. It was your extension services, everything. This is what your minister was. He was your government. You didn't go to health, education, and welfare in the Temple of Saturn, because that's where it was for Rome. You know, that's where they kept the birth certificates so that they know whether you're eligible for the benefit. You know, just like in Jerusalem, in the temple, they kept your baptismal certificate because that was you being born into that society under Herod's system of Corbin. Now, you had to pay in. This is why they asked the question, does your master pay the tax? Is he baptized into the kingdom of God established by Herod. They didn't even understand how it was all working then even, but we see the evidence of it now. It's in the Bible, very clearly in the Bible, but you've been steered away from the reality that by baptizing a man according to John the Baptist, he was cast out of the system set up by Herod the Social Security system set up by Herod, requiring baptism also. And you are now in a Social Security system that operated by free will offerings. That's going to, you're going to need ministers. See, right now your ministers are, you know, the Social Security Administration. That's where you go to take care of the needy of your society. It's the welfare office. And what do you have to show? You have to show that you are a member. you got to give your member number. If you don't have your member number, they're going to exclude you. 
You're not going to be able to open bank accounts. You're not going to be able to get a job. You're not going to be able to get any of your benefits. I'm eligible for my Social Security benefits, except I don't have any Social Security benefits because all the money I paid in, I don't have any right to. It's all gone out to take care of the needy of society when I was working. Now, I think you only have to have uh, 10 quarters to be eligible. I got way more than that that I paid into Social Security. Because I have left that system legally, and there is a way to do that for ministers. There isn't yet a way to do that for individuals, at least not a very clear way. I mean, certainly you could leave the system, but I'm not preaching that you should leave the system of man. I'm preaching that you should seek the kingdom of God. If you're not gathering together in free assemblies, taking care of the needy of those free assemblies, then you better stay faithful to the unrighteous man. Because no one will have you in the righteous man. So you, you pick a minister. This is what the first century church did. That's what they were doing on Pentecost. They weren't just getting dunked in water. They were now moving from one system of society, one society, to another. One society operated by force offerings, Corbin, sacrifice. Corbin means sacrifice, but their sacrifice was regulated by statutory uh, parameters that came down from the Sanhedrin. But Christ was preaching this other system. Now, I gave an example in emails with... Uh, some internet trolls who really don't get it at all, completely lost, and they're almost brain dead with uh, uh, socialist ideas. They don't understand what is a free society. And I don't blame them, because the preachers haven't been talking about it. They haven't been doing it. But they, uh, they simply don't understand how a free society operates. How a righteous society. It's not enough to be free. You have to be seeking righteousness. Christ didn't say, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and the freedom that it provides. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to provide for your neighbor as you would want God to provide for you. You have to start that flow from a sucking nature to a giving nature. You have to reverse. If you're really turning around, that's what you're going to do. First thing you want to do after you come up out of the water is give. And that's what Christ began to give his life. Though he was rich, he made himself poor at that baptism. Because he was to replace, he, they thought he was to replace John the Baptist and what he was doing as the leader of this charitable system of social welfare based on free will offering. You have two codes, never has none share. But it wasn't until later John discovered that, wait a minute, he isn't just to replace me. He is to replace the king himself. And that's why he had to send messengers. Are you the one? He knew he was the one that he would have replaced him as high priest, because that's really what he was. 
in a society that operated by faith, open charity. The temple had already been defamed and, and uh, degenerated. So anyway, we're going to talk about the feet of society. You're the feet of society. The people are the feet of society. Wherever the feet of Abraham go, Abraham lived by faith. He set up altars of free will offerings, which you can read about in Thy Kingdom Comes and and uh, some of the pamphlets that we put out, what those altars were really at. And he talk about different kinds of altars, altars of clay, altars of stone. They talk about footstool altars. What's a footstool altar? And we won't go into all that now, but uh, the feet is of you. Your feet, where you tread, where you go, the way you travel determines the nature of your society. Now, is your society corporate? Is your society, what binds your society together? A covenant with men? Enforceable by men or a covenant with God? Enforceable by God. If you have that covenant with God, then you must act according to the ways of God. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. You won't do it right. You won't do it perfectly. You won't do it enough. So therefore, you still need the salvation of Christ. But if you're not moving in that direction, then you have not repented, and you are not saved. How do you get forgiven your sins? If you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. So how far does that forgiveness go? You'd be astounded how far that forgiveness goes. So how, how do you become the feet of society? When do you become the feet of society? What are the dangers and pitfalls in that journey to becoming the society of the kingdom of God? I wrote in there also in the blog talk advertisement for this particular show, the ingredients of a free society. What are the ingredients of the free society? Because I spelled it, ingredients, uh, I-N-C-E, at the end of that particular uh, uh, quote. So what are these ingredients of society? What what do they look like? Uh, now, what, what do I mean by ingredients of society? And we'll talk about that when we, we come back. Uh, the, the point is is that society's feet stink. They are really stinky feet. And that's the mess you see in societies all over the world. People warring with each other, people murdering each other, um, people producing poisonous foods and feeding it to each other. What What is going on with all this? How, how is that... Uh, coming about the way that it's coming about what what can we do to make it better we need to wash our feet and we need to have men who know how to wash our feet how to get them clean 
If you look up the word ingredients, it says entrance. Yeah, that's right. You know, if you won't even find the word in most uh, spell checks. You'll find that, you know, regular ingredients with a T. But ingredients with a N-C-E, it means an entrance. The quality or state of being an ingredient or component part. So you're the ingredients of the kingdom. And Christ is the entrance, is the door. You have to become like Christ, self-sacrificing. Because society does not function on anything but greed, as Milton Freeman said. That is what drives society. That's why socialist societies really don't work. All they do is bring about tyranny. But you have to be greedy for the character of Christ, the ways of Christ, the ways of giving, the ways of taking care of one another, the ways of self-sacrifice. You can't just say, I believe in Jesus and be saved. You have to actually believe in the ways of Jesus, of self-sacrificing, of giving up of yourself so that you may have life more abundant. If you won't do that, you, you will not be saved. So you're going to need to forgive so that you be forgiven. What do you need to forgive? What do you need to let go of? in order to be forgiven. And, you know, what, what, are you in debt? You know, if you forgive debt, that's forgiving. Does somebody owe you something? You see, I forgave them the debt of Social Security. All the people that should be working today to pay for my Social Security, I forgive them. They don't have to pay my Social Security. They owe me nothing. I, I, I will ask nothing from them, and I will ask nothing from the men who call themselves benefactors who are in the business of going to my neighbor's house and forcing them to contribute to my welfare. For the last 30 years or more, I, did, I forgave everybody in our community. They did not have to pay for my child's public education. So I almost taught them because I forgave them. They, they didn't owe me anything. Yet I paid the property tax that paid for their children's education. You know, I paid for it one way or another. I actually don't own the land that I'm sitting on right now, but uh, I gave that away when I started this ministry. But I pay into it, and that money goes to paying the property tax. So I, you know, even if you're renting, you're paying property tax. It's included in your rent. So I forgave them, and I paid in even into the unrighteous mammon, but I'm seeking the kingdom. And we'll show you the difference between God's servants so you'll be able to recognize them and the adversary servant, the wicked servants. Remember, 
Governments are created for the wicked, to punish the wicked. You want to make sure you're not one of those. And we'll be back, Keys of the Kingdom. Fast as he would. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Because you love the truth, LibertyRadioLive.com. The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host, cause, and anywhere else the Spirit may lead you. Do all to the glory of our God and Creator, for His holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them, if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now listen to me. Welcome back. We're talking about a free society, 
the kingdom society, the nature of societies in general, and how to distinguish which one is true and which one is false. And uh, which one did Christ come preaching? Christ talked about lost sheep. And if you look at Matthew uh, 18, 13, and he says, And if ye be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than the ninety-nine which went not astray. Because it came back. So that's what we need to be, is the sheep that came back, the sheep that needs to be found. And if you want to be found, you need to try to find the other lost sheep. That's the first thing sheep do, gregarious range-type sheep that are not uh, bound in by fences but stay together. Uh, if they get separated, the first thing they do is start looking for other sheep. Find, find out if there are others lost, like themselves. And uh, I put recently put up a little uh, thing I was out in a field that was not supposed to have the sheep in it, and... Uh, getting ready to turn off water so that we could hay that field. And lo and behold, I came upon about four, five, six lambs that had gotten separated from the sheep. And they were they were looking very lost. They didn't know what to do. Uh, they had no idea where the rest of the sheep were. But they were sticking together. And it took a little bit of walking around them to get them so that they were confident because they were kind of spooked by the fact that they didn't see the rest of the herd. And uh, But eventually they started walking with me, and we walked back, and I have a little photo deal, taking pictures with the phone, and got them back to the other sheep. And when they saw the other sheep, they went out and joined that herd, and were a little more careful in the future about separating themselves out. Today, the sheep of Christ are a scattered flock. They're all over the place. But if we read on... Uh, in Matthew, on to the next verse, in uh, verse 15, anyway. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. You, you're, you're separated. You go and hear. And this is why those six sheep were, or five sheep were together. Those lambs were together. They heard each other's voice, and they came together. Now they were just trying to figure out where's everybody else, because they were still separated as a little flock. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or more, uh, one uh, or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now he's taking this metaphor a little farther, so that, you're realizing that he's trying to get you to hear what's in his heart. He's trying to get you to forgive, which is a way of giving. You give forgiveness. And if you don't, well, then uh, there is, uh, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. In other words, tell it to the rest of the body and let them know if somebody is a cheat or a thief, uh, or dishonest or treat you unfairly, eventually you have to expose them in order to protect other people. I don't know how many times I've seen where 
somebody knows that somebody's a crook, but they don't want to get involved, so they don't say anything. And he goes around stealing, defrauding other members of the community. Well, I don't want to say anything, they say. It's an obligation of governance, of self-governance. I mean, if a cop sees somebody breaking in, well, he wasn't breaking into my house, so I didn't, you know, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to do anything. No, he's going to go over and stop him and arrest him. So if you see somebody committing crimes, lying, bearing false witness, you need to expose them. But you need to give them the opportunity of repenting first. Those fellows that I talked about that I threw out that were in a place where they did not belong. I had thrown them out earlier in the day when they were there drinking and driving on the lawn. They came back later at night. Well, they'd already gotten their warning shot. <laughs> now they were going to be thrown out completely. But it goes on in 18, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Wasn't that what Jesus said when he gave the keys of the kingdom to Peter? Well, actually, what that is, is the keys to the kingdom. That is the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. The way in which you govern yourself on earth is the way you will be governed, will determine whether you're governed in heaven or not. And if you bind yourself to the adversary, then guess what? You're not going to heaven. Because you're binding yourself to Christ. But God made it clear, when they bound themselves to a king, they gave him the power and responsibility, the right to choose for themselves to an individual, centralizing that authority. God said, this is going to happen, 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 he's going to take and take, first fruits, all that stuff. And when you cry out, I will not hear you. Why? Because you're not in heaven. You're not bound to heaven. You're not connected to heaven. He, he's not doing this to be mean. He just can't. He can't. The Holy Spirit cannot enter into a dirty house. you got to clean up your act. So it goes on in 19 and says, And again I say unto you. So he's, he's adding to this. That if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. Touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. What do they mean, touching anything that shall ask? Uh, you know, the word uh, touching there is from uh, a Greek word. Concerning, touching, whereof. But it's not just, uh, you know, uh, it's about concerning the account of, because of, around, or near. In other words, you got to do something. you got to be, be concerned with this yourself. You have, in other words, if you give, I used to see where my dad would say, if I saved a certain amount of money, of my uh, earnings and, and put it in the bank, that he would match those funds. You know, and that's kind of what God will do. If, if you if you give 
God will match those funds. Now, of course, we hear preachers saying that all the time, and I mean, give to them. But you're, you know, make them rich so they can drive around in fancy cars and all this kind of stuff. But no, we're talking about what? Pure religion, taking care of the needy of your society. Now, obviously, there will be people that will come into your congregation that are slothful, that just want you to take care of them. But we have Thessalonians. If you don't work, you don't eat. And so, therefore, you bring Christ's discretion. He didn't heal everybody that just came up. And he says, oh, you know, push them away. You know, like the one lady, time and time again, he didn't heal her, help her. But then eventually he did. Because she was persistent and consistent. And admitted humbly, even the dogs eat of the crumbs of the master's table. She understood her humble position and the humility gave birth to faith and faith gave birth to humility. You see, there's always this reciprocation in the kingdom. They're saying if you have a society where you force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, now your society can force you to contribute to their welfare. And and all the lazy, good-for-nothing people will gravitate towards that society. But the sincere and giving and cooperative people will gravitate towards Christ society. You know, when we had black-faced sheep and white-faced sheep, the black-faced sheep would wander off and the white-faced sheep would stay together. Although occasionally the white-faced sheep were tempted and led off by Korah. So, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. In his name means in his character. So are you gathering in the name of Jesus? Or are you gathering in the character of Jesus? Because that's what that name means. Are you gathering together to care for one another? Or not? Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, Lord, oft shall, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Peter knows he's talking about forgiveness. Till seven times he asked, Jesus says to him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So I don't know if you guys are counting, that's hard to figure out. <laughs> but the point is, it's a lot. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. So now he's explaining this, which would take account of his servants. Okay, he's going to tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. Where the king takes account of how you conduct yourself. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Sounds like a lot. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold on his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. That's like the people who get themselves into bondage. And they want to be free. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him and saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. 
So now, isn't that where we are at? When the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. So he was forgiven. Christ Didn't Christ forgive you your debt? But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had a pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that he was due unto him. Who are the tormentors? Not the governments of the world. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you form your hearts. If you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother and his trespasses. Now people have forced me to contribute to their welfare for years and forced me to contribute to their public education for years. But I forgive them. They owe me nothing. I ask nothing from them. Do you do the same? Or are you still sending men out, benefactors, men who call themselves benefactors, sending them out to obtain benefits for you? Are you sending out men who will grab men by the throat, by the scruff of their neck, force them not only to pay what they owe, but to pay extra, fine them, beat them? That's what beating is. They owe 10,000 pounds, but we're going to put heavy penalties on you. Now you owe 12,000 pounds, 13,000 pounds, 14,000 pounds. Do I hear 15? Do you have servants like that working for you? Do you have servants that if people do not contribute to your welfare, you will send men out and cast them into prison? You do. All citizens of the United States do. All citizens of Australia do. All citizens of Great Britain do. Canada. Even those polite Canadians. If you don't pay into the social welfare according to statutory mandates, based on the covenants that you have signed, the agreements you have signed, your ministers, your priests, will go out and grab that individual by the neck, handcuff him, and throw him into prison. So where's your forgiveness? If you're every time you apply for those benefits, that means you haven't forgiven those people. 
you're a part of that unforgiving system and society that stinks. The feet of that society stink and need washing. How do you wash them? You need to find men of service and contribute to those men to gather the lost sheep. How are you doing that? Are you working hard and diligently to find those lost sheep, those other people who will actually form a society based on faith, hope, and charity alone? Who actually love their neighbor enough to allow him the right to choose to give or not to give? Can you do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to walk in those ways? Even turn around and go in those ways a little bit is hard. Most people won't admit that what they're doing now is wrong. But every injustice out there committed by your priests and ministers down there in the county and the state governments, every time they throw somebody in jail, unforgiving, you're defying Christ. You are being a part of the work of the wicked servant. Remember, those governments are instituted to punish the wicked. And they are instituted by the wicked who covet their neighbor's goods and become merchandise, human resources. Are you starting to put these pieces of the puzzle together? How far from the kingdom have we gone? One of the things the, 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 I will refer to him as the troll. Although he's a human being, he's a, probably could be a nice guy. I think he's got like two friends on Facebook. And I've asked him several times. He, he, he was going to put everything I put on Facebook, he said. And I said, oh, that's great. Where's your Facebook page? But he won't tell. <laughs> so I tried to find him. I know he lives in Texas. And, uh, I tried to find him, and I knew what his name was, and so, but there's all kinds of guys in Texas with that name. And eventually I found one page, and I suspect that's him. Got two friends on Facebook. <laughs> you know, he's so angry, so full of hate. But he is, he is suffering from the antithesis of the Saul syndrome. Saul was driven mad by his power. The socialist is driven mad, too. You know, he's he's given over to unnatural lust. If it is the same guy, he's evidently gay, too. You know, I use the word term gay, you know, homosexual, whatever. But he's given over to that. He can't change. He has to repent and start forgiving. He he is so full of unforgiveness, so angry all the time. I sent him an invitation to the show. I don't know if he's listening. Maybe he's in the chat room typing away. <laughs> There's a chat room. But, uh, you know, I forgive him, too. I, I don't have time for unforgiveness. I don't have the energy. You know, it takes a lot of energy to be angry, to resent, to shake your fist. It just drains your life away. You can't even work. You can't even function. But the ways of the kingdom give you tremendous amount of energy. You can work huge periods of time, get all kinds of things done. But it's not you. It's it's God working through you. 
You can face evil men, powerful men, men who think they're powerful, appear to be powerful in the ways of the world, and they have no power. And Christ was quick to point that out. He said, you could have no power except that it were given to you and allowed you to do what you were doing. He was willing to give up his life, knowing that he would have life more abundant. Are you willing to give up your life so that you will have life more abundant? It's a selfish act to give up your life to have life more abundant. But if you give up your life, same thing, out of love of Christ, same thing, same thing taking place mechanically, but your motivation is love. You see, the kingdom of God, you are bound by love. It's a more powerful bonding agent than contracts, I can assure you. Contracts have to be enforced. Love is its own enforcement. It gives life. You know, a mother loves her baby. She gives life to it. Do you fathers love your wives? You know, we talked earlier in blog talk about Ivan the Terrible. Killed his own heir in a fit of rage. Then he was repentant and prayerful and sorry. Then he'd have another fit of rage. Murder one of his wives. <laughs> he would be repentant and remorseful. Up and down. You see this all the time in people who have trouble with depression. Up and down. They've got a name for it. Bipolar. In the kingdom, you're not up and down. You're steady. You're the little engine that could. You don't go up and down. You're not drugging yourself with emotion. I remember a fellow who went off to a, a religious retreat of some sort, you know, and came back all glassy-eyed and, you know, full of the love of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, a couple weeks later, he's down in the Depression. I don't think it took a couple weeks. That energy all went out. He's he's not operating in the kingdom. He's operating in a, in a world of emotion. It's not about emotion. Emotion is a tool. Knowledge is a tool, not the source. The source is steady as light from the sun. It's even more steady than light from the sun. But you have to have that nature of Christ in order to receive it. You're operating in the dark. You're not operating in the light. God put a light in the garden so that you could find your way back. And what we're talking about is the character of the society that you create is an exposure of the, of the character that lives in you. And the society that we are creating today is not a Christ-like society. That's what's so amazing about these guys who say that Christ was a socialist. Where did Christ force his neighbor to contribute to his welfare? We talk about uh, uh, Jesus was supported. His ministry was supported by some of the richest people in Judea, by the, by the treasurer of Herod himself. Chusa, Chusa's wife, Joanne the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him with their substance. 
Jesus was a rich man. He came from a rich family. And it says in the Bible, though he was rich, he made himself poor. What the religionists of the, the last millennium started doing is making you think that somehow Jesus was poor. But no, he was rich and made himself poor so that you could escape the poverty of your own spirituality. And we'll talk more about this and the mechanics of the kingdom when we return. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government takeover of the church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, we're talking about society, the feet of society, which is you, and you as a corporate entity of that society uh, have certain obligations and duties. But in the kingdom, the society itself, the only corporate nature that we see condoned uh, other than the appointed church, is the family itself. Because the family itself has a corporate nature. Now, when we talk about corporations, we think of corporate entities created by the state. And there are all kinds of corporate entities in existence in the world that are not created by the state. 
because a corporation is simply two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority as if they were one person. Well, that describes per perfectly the family established under God, which is holy matrimony, another whole question uh, or, or subject. Marriage under God is different than marriage under the state. Under the state, the, uh, the state is a party to the union. And so you are a corporation of the state when you ask for a state marriage, which you certainly have a right to do if you wish. But if you're married under the authority of God, the only corporate nature to that union is husband and wife. And that's what we call a capital F family. And that family remains whole as long as it remains in positions of its rights and responsibilities. In other words, you can only keep your rights if you keep your responsibilities. They're co-relative. You cannot spend one half of a coin. You, if you spend one half of the coin, you've spent the other half because they go together. So you must maintain your rights by maintaining your responsibilities. That's an essential part of the kingdom. That's an essential part of the family. So if a family comes together in a free assembly, not a free association, a free assembly, that's a legal reason why you choose that word assembly, it does not relinquish any part of its corporate nature. So, like Margaret Thatcher and Karl Marx said, society doesn't exist. Except for Karl, he did say it existed, but it didn't exist as individuals. But Margaret Thatcher said that society doesn't exist. Only individuals exist. And, of course, families are individuals. A family is an individual corporate entity. No more twain, but one flesh. But what's a congregation? Is it a corporate nature? No, it cannot be because of the fact that that would diminish the rights of the family. There's only so much rights to go around. And if you take some of your right to choose and you place it in the congregation, then you, you're not whole anymore. You're not Romeo's as Paul would say. So you have to form a congregation that's simply a free assembly where all the rights remain with the individual family, the elders of that family, the head of that family, is the spokesman for that one flesh entity called a family. Okay, so what? how do you create something that exists as an entity without diminishing the rights of the family? Well. The reality is there is a way in which you can diminish the right of a family, I use that as a singular now, without diminishing the family itself. And that's by giving an offering. You got ten bucks, ten silver dollars in the family. That's part of the corpus of the family, everything you own. We're returning every man to his family and every man to his possession. In those possessions, those possessions are a part of the family. It's the corpus of the family. And you've got ten silver dollars here. You take those ten silver dollars and you hand them to a man you think is doing the work of Christ. And you say, here, take this ten dollars for Christ 
and deliver it to Christ by using it in the way in which Christ directed us. Feed my sheep. So now use this to feed his sheep. Now some of the money might be used to buy gas so they can take the feed to the sheep. <laughs> and maybe some of it is used to buy gas to find the sheep so that he can take food to the sheep. And you give him that 10 bucks, your family has diminished by 10 bucks. But really, it's only the corpus of your family that's diminished by 10 bucks. You have cast 10 bucks upon the waters of society by giving it to this minister. But the family is still whole. Only the corpus of the family has diminished by 10 bucks. And you diminished it by 10 bucks for selfish reasons. Because you hope it comes back to you. You didn't buy a guaranteed entitlement because your faith in God, you cast your blood upon the waters in hopes that it may come back to you. The family is still whole, short 10 bucks. And now 10 bucks is cast out there on the waters in hopes that it comes back to you. Now, what you have done when you do that is you've created a trust. Just like when you mail a letter, you create a trust. You give a letter to a postman. He doesn't own it. He has it in trust. The terms are on the envelope. Take it to this person. If you can't find this person, bring it back. Except for the trust you created isn't, you know, it, when you gave him the 10 bucks, you said, use this for the purpose of Christ or bring it back. But you have no contractual guarantee that it will come back because you have no strings attached to it. You've given it up entirely. It's burnt up to you. It's given up. So you have created not a grantor trust, but a sacred purpose trust. And so we don't call that a sacred purpose trust necessarily. We call it a church. If you call it a sacred purpose trust, people of the world might think that it's a trust that they can regulate. The same as if you get a marriage license in the state, they can regulate your marriage. But if you don't get a marriage license in the state and you, you take a matter of concerning the marriage to the court, the one party can say the court has no jurisdiction. And we have seen the court say, well, we don't have any jurisdiction. We can't do, do anything with this marriage. It's not one of ours. I asked them down at the county if we filled out a form of our own making saying that we we're getting married could we come down and register that like we do a marriage license they said no this is only for our marriages you can only register our marriages here you see that's a different church that's another church that's not the church established by Christ that's a church established by men we don't call it church we call it government it's like we don't call the church here church all the time. We call it the kingdom because it's a government. It's a government that operates different than that government. It operates by faith, open charity. But back to the mechanics. So the ten bucks is now in the hands of the minister. Does he own it? No. He's holding it in trust for Christ. He can spend it according to his conscience. And he is answerable to whom? To you? No. To Christ, yes. Now, you're answerable to Christ 
Because if you don't exercise your responsibility and keep an eye on that minister to make sure that he's doing a good job and you just keep sending him 10 bucks every month, then you're not doing your job as elder of the congregation. Because now, two people give him 10 bucks. Three people give him 10 bucks. There are a free assembly of people who've given him 10 bucks. Now, if you don't give him the 10 bucks entirely, if you do not let it go, then you're not a free assembly. You're a free association. And if any of the members of that association are not completely free of the world, the world can come in and regulate that minister. Because you're an association. You're an unincorporated association. The state can regulate unincorporated associations as if they were corporations. But if you give up the ten bucks entirely as a burnt offering, the state has no jurisdiction. It cannot come in and regulate that. So now, if this is a trust, who's the overseer of the trust? Well, in the sacred purpose trust, the Holy Spirit is the protector, the comforter of that relationship. But the world can't see the Holy Spirit. It doesn't know it exists. It lives in darkness. You have to name some individual you think has the Holy Spirit within them or operates according to the Holy Spirit as the protector of that sacred purpose trust. And the one you name needs to be separate from the world. That's why Christ was looking for a group of men to call out ecclesia, be the church appointed by him that would operate according to the Holy Spirit. It's hard to find those men. There's men who dabble in the Holy Spirit, but they haven't really made a full commitment. And I don't know that I've made the full commitment. But I'm looking for men who want to make that full commitment to come into accord with them and receive the Holy Spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit has been with me because you don't know that. I could be a liar. You don't have any way of knowing that unless the Holy Spirit is within you. But how is Christ going to build his church? Based on flesh and blood testimony? But by divine revelation. Not just revelation in me, but revelation in you. Is there something in your heart that sees what I'm talking about? Hears what I'm... Do you have ears, spiritual ears, to hear what I'm talking about? Do you have spiritual eyes to see what I'm talking about? Can you see the kingdom? Can you see... Tens of thousands of people operating by faith and hope and charity alone, caring for one another in a society, networked together by bonds of love and testimony. Can you see that possibility? Okay, back to the mechanics. So he's got ten bucks from ten families. Let's say things are going that well. He actually found ten families. Okay, he's got a hundred bucks. He can eat of that to sustain him because he's the shepherd. But he has to be out there tending to the needs of 
that free assembly in a society. Okay, we're going to have to go back to that thing of protector again. So if I forget that by the second half of the show, somebody remind me. But anyway, in this free congregation, free assembly, is that really a society? Well, it's the beginning of a society. But the Society of Christ is more than ten families, more than a congregation. It's a kingdom. So that congregation needs to come together with other congregations in the same nature that those families came together. Now, we've created this trust, this sacred purpose trust, this thing we call the church. If you're the church at Timbuktu, ten families in Timbuktu got together and picked a minister, and they gave that minister in Timbuktu ten bucks apiece and he's got a hundred bucks. They've created a trust, and they picked this guy over here in Timbuktu to be the overseer of that trust. Now, what's the job of the overseer? If the minister dies, he goes to the people and says, who else do you pick? And he makes sure that the corpus of that trust, that that man, the hundred bucks, goes to the next minister, and that next minister takes that, starts out with that hundred bucks, plus whatever else they choose to give him, and he he functions with that and carries on. You know, it's, he's the second mailman. You know, this mailman had a heart attack. You get him in the ambulance, you load him up, and he goes off uh, to the ambulance. He can't deliver the mail. Who gets the mailbag? Well, in the post office, they send out another mailman, and he goes and delivers all the that mail. And the overseer of the post office says which mailman's going to do it. Now, in the kingdom, it's a little bit different because the overseer, he can see to it that, that, you know, if the whole congregation was in the bus and they all went over a cliff and they retrieved that corpus, he can take that corpus and give it to another minister of the church. But if the congregation still lived, he's got to go to that congregation. He's got to know who it is and say, who do you choose now as a minister? Because your minister died of a heart attack. And there's a hundred bucks here in the coffee. He doesn't give it back to the people. He gives it to the new minister they pick. And so they look out amongst themselves, pick men they trust, and he gives it to that minister. And he carries that job on, delivering it to Christ and feeding the sheep. That's the job of the overseer. And over that hundred bucks, he is the overseer. But he doesn't rule over that minister. He recognizes the minister. He bears witness that that minister exists. Is he the minister of that minister? Well, at first he certainly is. But what happens if the minister decides that I don't think that this overseer is the minister for me? He's a little far away. I've got this other guy. I really trust him. He's maybe a great minister, but... I want this other minister who's closer by. And he chooses that other minister. Does the new minister get to be the overseer of the corpus? Not unless the old minister says it's okay. You can't change the overseer. Once you pick him, it's done. Otherwise, you don't have that individual responsibility. You're ruling over the overseer if you can change the overseer. Okay. 
you say, I'm not going to have him as my overseer anymore. I'm going to have this guy as overseer. But I already got 100 bucks in the co coffee can. The original overseer is still overseer of that 100 bucks. And you make a record that you're now picking a new overseer. And anything that comes in now, and you should change the name of your your ministry, is Church at Timbuktu number two. <laughs> And now the new overseer will oversee what comes in. Now the old overseer can say, I think that's a wise choice. Because now you got an overseer that's closer to you. The hundred bucks can go to him and he takes his responsibility overseer and with a letter of credence places it upon the new minister to oversee that hundred bucks. He doesn't regulate that, he does the spending of that. He just makes sure that it, the letter gets delivered, the money gets spent in that way. If he sees that minister not spending the money in the way that it should be spent, he has to rely on the Holy Spirit to enforce that. And he must bear witness that this minister has gone nuts. He's buying, you know, cocaine with the money you gave him. And I don't think that's for the purposes of Christ. He has to expose him. First go to him, then bring others, and then expose him. You see how it's beginning to work? The overseer is the hat of the minister that you pick. The other hat is the hat that he wears to be your personal minister. What's, the, what's those jobs? What's those duties like? He's, as overseer, he just makes sure that the corpus is cared for and protected. That's why they call him a protector. And it goes for the purposes of Christ. But as minister of that minister, he has more duties. It is his job to connect that minister with other ministers so that their congregation forms a society, a free congregation. Because he gathers with nine other ministers who got ten bucks apiece in their coffee can. And now what's in the treasury? The housing. But now, supposedly, like blood in your body, it's flowing out there and doing the job. It's not accumulating in a central treasury. Any one of those ministers could misuse those funds, but it cannot misuse the funds of the minister next to him because it's not in a central treasury where thieves and robbers can break in and steal it. Each individual minister of the church has a responsibility according to what people have chosen to give him as a responsibility. The responsibility in the elders is to give and to make sure that that minister is doing a good job but they have no control over the funds they've given, only the funds they give the next day or next week or next month. They can choose. Now, look at the governments of the world, how they operate differently. Governments of the world, you sign up, you become a corporate member of that society. Used to be you were a member of the state. Actually, even before that, you really weren't even a member of the state. You were a free individual under God. But then eventually you got 
corporate membership in order to get benefits of the state. We see it in Massachusetts and places where they started public schooling and and all that. I've shown in the book uh, Viking Newcom references in Oregon where the taxes were voluntary, et cetera, et cetera, and then eventually it became corporate. But then now people are citizens of the United States and merely residents in their local states. So I see a lot of men wanting to go back to be citizens of the state, but the state doesn't exist anymore except as a corporate entity of the federal government. All the state officials are federal citizens. They are members of the federal government. They have federal, they're employed by the federal government. They have a federal employee identification number. Their wages belong to the federal government. They can take this much or that much or whatever they decide by statute in the federal government. So they're citizens of the federal government, U.S. government, and residents in their local states. You can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. But you can repent and go to the kingdom. The kingdom's not corporate. You're just bah by love and love alone faith and hope and charity that's what you're operating on and the perfect law of liberty you choose but this over here in this kingdom this other government there's no central authority there's no central control of the treasury the treasury remains in your pocket except that token amount that you give to your minister that he can operate on to be health, education, and welfare, to be connecting you with the rest of the congregation so that if, you know, your congregation is devastated, he can connect with nine other congregations that can help you guys out. He can declare a national emergency in your county, in your congregation. We have an emergency. And the other ministers say, we look at this, oh, you know, they send their minister over to check it out. Yeah, there's an emergency. There was a big fire that came through here. We help you out. Now, this spirit of giving is around and well. Like $8 million in hay was gathered by hay farmers and sent down to the fire victims uh, down in California. That wasn't government doing it. That was people actually volunteered to give away $8 million in hay. To people they don't even know. Now, I, I hope it went wisely and took care of the needs wisely. But I don't know. They're not used to doing it. But the spirit is there. But this is all we're talking about. This is what the church is to implement that spirit of giving in a righteous way to take care of the needy of your society by faith, hope, and charity alone. That is what made America great. And that is what the church is doing. And that's what we need to be doing. And that's what we're talking about. And that's what we're trying to gather you together to do. But you got to, first thing you got to do is show up. The question was asked, well, they're talking about having a meeting of ministers. I'm not sure why. Well, show up, find out. You know, your neighbor says, you know, I need to talk to you. And you say, okay, let's talk. You know, where do you want to go? We had a guy that came by and we said, I need to talk to you in private. I said, okay, what do you want to do? 
Say when. You want to take a walk and we talk in private now? Oh, no, no, not right now. He was here for three, four days. He never, ever said when. It's not my job to say when. It's your job to say when. I already said whenever you want. Now you got to tell me when you want. And if something comes up, I can't. Well, then we'll reschedule. This is called working out. You have to be responsible to speak up. If you got a problem, speak up. And you also have a responsibility to listen. Why? Because you hope that they will listen to you when you got a problem. When you need to counsel, when you need to gather. And that's, that's kingdom. You know, gathering together. Oh, I'd love to have heard the conversations in the upper room after the crucifixion. There's probably 12 angry men, but certainly 12 frightened men. <laughs> and 12 frightened men is 12 angry men because fear and anger are the same. That's why you're angry, because you're afraid. That's why you're barking, because you're afraid. So anyway, if you if you have questions about any of this, let's ask them in the chat room, or you can call in. Uh, we have a call-in number. Uh, wait a minute. Let's see. Do, do I have the call-in number? Yeah, I have the call-in number. Okay. 559-726-1300. And then you have to have a code. Code number, six-digit number, 795-132. Seven nine five one three two, and then hit star six if you have a question. Now, if your troll's trying to call in and use up our time, I may cut you off. <laughs> so don't bother. <laughs> if you have a legitimate question that you you want asked to be productive, we'd love to hear from you. So you're you're the society, you're the government in God's society in His kingdom. And you have to exercise your responsibilities. And the way to do that is to care about others as much as you care about yourself. So what others do you care about? Oh, I care about everybody. Well, that's not good enough. What do you do? What are you, t what are you actually doing to care about others? You actually have to be reaching out and connecting with others. And guess what? Some of those others got stinky feet. <laughs> That's right. Uh, they're the feet of society, but they're stinky. So you got to wash each other's feet a little bit. you got to put up with that, you know, toe jelly. And, uh, you know, help each other out. You know, when you're in the military over in Vietnam, that was one of the things that you had to do is check each other's feet because of jungle rot. You know, your shoes could get damp, and there was humid climate, and there were all kinds of funguses around, and you could start getting uh, jungle rot in your feet. And so you couldn't always, well, so you had to check your buddy's feet. That sounds like a pretty disgusting job. Bunch of guys out there in the woods. But it was essential, because if your buddy's feet faltered, you lost the strength of your 
uh, company, your platoon. Your man couldn't keep up. You weren't going to have him there to help you. So you have to strengthen one another. In this time of affluence, you need to strengthen one another because hard times are coming. So get ready with your questions, and we'll go into the last half hour of looking at the feet of society, which is you, and how you take care of one another. Pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, one holy nation under the heavenly Father, with grace, mercy, and justice for all. What year is it? The year of the Lord God the Pope, 2012 according to the Vatican's Gregorian calendar, or 5940 since creation? according to the Bible. Did you know that the Creator put a clear chronology from the creation in His Word? It is widely accepted that the millennial reign of Christ will be the Sabbath or seventh millennium from the creation. If this thesis holds true, then this clear chronology becomes very important. Is the seventh millennium imminent? Will there be a rapturous date? Or is it about 60 years off See the clear evidence for yourself in the booklet, What Year Is It? We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It? and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue, in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Or see the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com to send a check or money order. We are grateful to the Almighty for your support. The Greatest Prophecy DVD If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. 
War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Well, welcome back to Key to the Kingdom. Uh, we're talking about society, and part of society is going to get together here at the end of September at the Burning Bush Festival, and we hope to have as many people come as can. We've got lots of room for camping. We're already working on building the facilities. Uh, yesterday we got the floor on uh, one of them, and we're going to be, we've got some of the walls put together. We've got the windows down there. We've got one of the doors down there. And we're putting that together, and we've got a lot of other jobs to do, and we'll be working on that pretty steadily this, the rest of this month and next month. But uh, last of September here in Summer Lake at the Burning Bush Festival, we hope to see you. There's lots of room for camping and hiking and uh, fellowships. So if you're interested in coming, join the Living Network at hisoldchurch.org. Ask them questions and find out who's coming. They're coming from a long ways off. There's some ride-sharing going on and carpooling and caravanning. So join your local network and find out uh, more about that. Okay, we're talking about society. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, uh, I claim that human mind or human society is not divided into watertight compartments called social, political, and religious. All act and react upon one another. This idea of separation of religious beliefs, philosophies, whatever you want to call it, and ideologies, and politics is ridiculous. Uh, Christ was extremely political. Paul was extremely political because they were preaching a different form of government. And everybody who got his baptism instead of the baptism of Herod were in that other government. And that government was where freedom lies, the right to be ruled by God in your hearts and mind. It takes a special kind of person. It takes a giving person, a forgiving person, a sacrificing person. Uh, and if you don't have that, you know, don't need to apply. Now, this idea of society, Henry David Thoreau said, there are three chairs in my house, one for solitude, two for friendship, three for society. So you, the society is the gathering of people, and just as you gather in a congregation that's a, or gather in a family first, which is the foundation of society, the feet of society is that individual entity called family. But those families gather together in free assemblies. They must be free assemblies, otherwise they diminish the family. And you can't have that. In all societies we see today, just about operating and governing themselves are not families are not free they are affected they are diminished in their capacity and their rights to choose now in order for any society to work a society must diminish itself by giving some of its corpus into the blood and life of that society and the way christ did it was with these free assemblies and ministers who gave up their personal estate to be the blood veins 
and the body and the flesh of his society. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said, I know of no safe depository of the ultimate powers of society, which is where all, society, uh, all powers come from, but the people themselves, and if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform uh, their discretion. In other words, what Christ said. Uh, he says, go to your neighbor and tell him. And I'm telling you that if you're taking from your neighbor at the point of a gun through the agency of the ministers you have chosen, you are the adversary of Christ. You cannot be a socialist and a Christian. They are incompatible. You can take care of the needy of your society and be a Christian. But you cannot live by the sword. You cannot force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You'll end up with wicked ministers who will grab your neighbor by the scruff of the neck and throw him into prison if he does not contribute what they think he should contribute, which is what you have today because you've abandoned Christ and gone to church, but not his church. Robert uh, Heinlein said an armed society is a polite society. Manners are good when one may have to back up his acts with his life. Now, he meant something completely different. Like I said, when I threw those two fellows out of that house uh, where the 14-year-old girl was, and they had been drinking, and, and evidently a lot more than that before I got over there, uh, I didn't go over armed. I didn't take a gun. I actually had backup over at my house. <laughs> I told the the police that I'm not I'm not going to take a gun. I'm just going over, and and they left because I wasn't armed with a gun. I was armed with the Holy Spirit and righteousness. You know, Lily Tomlin says the trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. The, the nature of your society is going to determine the nature of your soul. And if your society is based on force, fear, and violence, that is the nature of your soul. And there is no room for you in the kingdom of God. Before you die or after. Dwight Eisenhower said, Dwight Eisenhower even said, a people that value its privileges above its principles, soon lose both. There's a lot of privileges in your society I don't have anymore. I'm excluded. But I value principles more than privileges. And this is what's happening with the mark of the beast. If you don't have it, you're excluded more and more. Because without the mark of the beast, you don't have the privileges of their society, and they control almost everything. But the church is another society in the world, but not of the world. The state of Minnesota, the state of Massachusetts, the state of Texas, they're not in the world anymore. They are of the world. They are corporations of the state. Now, you can try to form new states, but I tell you, go to his church. Go to his way. Go that way. 
That is the political religious bonds you need to create. One based on love and giving and caring and charity, etc., etc. A free society is one where it is safe to be unpopular. It's not safe to be unpopular anymore. So I could t talk a lot about, I've got a tremendous amount of notes on, um, you know, society and relationship to the United States and citizenship and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, we won't be able to get to them in this last half hour. But uh, I can quote um, one of the former presidents of the United States who said, constantly bearing on, in mind that in entering into society, individuals must give up a share of liberty to preserve the rest. And we talked about that earlier. In the kingdom, you don't give up your family's liberty. You give up the liberty to choose over the substance you grant. You see the difference? The corpus of the family consists of your sons and daughters, your wife, your husband. That is the corpus. But there is also the stuff, the thing, the sheep the olive oil, the money. You can give up that stuff. You give up your right to choose over that stuff and the voluntary payment of your tax to the government of God, which we call tithing. But you must do it wisely and carefully and discriminatively and give it to men who are really operating according to the Holy Spirit. Not men who are going to go out and buy you big screen TVs and uh, sound systems so that you can have a good emotionally charged moment on Sunday or Sabbath. But men who are actually going to feed the sheep and take care of one another and bring the flock together, the good shepherds to bring those scattered bones together and make them a living body bound by love and charity. In one definition of the state, it says that quality which belongs to a person in society, a person is a member, remember, and which secures to and imposes upon him different rights and duties in consequence of the diligence of that quality. Well, in the kingdom of God, the duties are placed on you by God, not by men. It's enforced by God and His Holy Spirit, not by men, because it does not operate by the sword. And you are... We're not trying to get you to become members of the church. We're trying to get you to become members of the kingdom of God. We want you not to belong to the church, but to belong to God. And so, therefore, the qualities that belong to you as a person who is a member of God's kingdom, not some sort of temple organization that we might create, we aren't creating the church. We're bearing witness that Christ created the church. That Christ appointed the kingdom. 
says, although all men come from the hands of nature upon an equality, yet there are among them marked differences. Three sorts of differences, uh, different qualities, which form the state or condition of men may then be distinguished. Those are purely natural, those that are purely civil, and those which are composed of natural and civil and municipal laws. When the Israelites came to Samuel and said, we will have a king like the other governments. We will have a ruler like the other governments. We will have a president, prime minister, whatever you want to call them, like the other governments. It displeased Samuel that they said this. But he told them to go back to their tents. Then later he came and he told them, okay, this is the kind of government you're going to get. They're going to take and take and take and take and take. And they're going to take your sons, draft them, draft your daughters. They're going to take the first fruits. And you'll eventually cry out and God will not hear you. And they said, well, we want one anyway. And so they got one. And people have been doing that ever since. But when he is going to give it to him, he said, go back to your cities, not back to your tents. When they went to Rehoboam a couple generations later and said, we want our freedom back, he sent them back to their cities. And while he would contemplate this, and his crony said, don't give them their freedom. Keep these men to be the bread of your table, that they must contribute to you that you were un they are under your authority. Keep them that way. So he decided, I father whipped you with whips, I will whip you with scorpions. I will keep you subject citizens in my cities, under my civil and municipal laws, under my equity, under my administrative laws. So he sent them back to the cities. But some of them said, what is David to us? And they separated themselves. They rebelled against the kingdom. And they said, we're not going to be a part of this. And and I understand their, their feelings on it. That they had become divided of the people because they had pursued a ruler who could exercise authority at one time. It was not so easy to shake it off. And they said, what is David to us? And they went back to their tents. Going back to their tents and going back to their cities, two different jurisdictions. The kingdom of God is to return you to your tents. Return every man to his family. To the corporate entity of his family. As one flesh. With all your rights given to you by God in that family. But we cannot do that if you remain a scattered flock, if you remain dry bones without the breath of Christ in you to give to one another. You must come together. And the only thing that will bring you together is that Spirit of Christ. The only thing of value that can bring you together is that. Disasters, catastrophes, all that will bring you together. But it is better that you come together by the Spirit of Christ. 
now. That is what the message of the gospel is all about, is the coming together in that spirit and that spirit alone. Government is not sovereignty. Government is the machinery or expedient for expressing the will of the sovereign power, which is God. Are you expressing the will of God by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare? Or are you, are you expressing the will of Satan, the adversary of God? The sovereign power in our government belongs to the people but only to the people that are of God. And the government of the United States and the governments of the several states are but the machinery for expounding or expressing the will of the sovereign power of the people. Well, in that footnote, this is Cherokee Nation versus uh, Southern Kansas. That's what I'm quoting from. The United States government is the machinery that one society uses. Christ gave us another machinery, another mechanics. And that's what we've been talking about is mechanics of the kingdom. It says, because neither Congress nor the treaty-making powers can grant away the sovereign powers of government, but they can only exercise them for the people to whom they belong. What's the date on that case? 1888. That's not the case today. Times have changed. The greatest destroyer is the freedom of the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And people have sought many, 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 many benefits provided for them by this machinery whereby you can take away the rights of some to benefit the welfare of others. Mark Twain once said, clothes makes the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. He's a funny guy, but he was clever. So who makes the clothes of the ministers of the church that was established by Christ? Who made the the uh, uh, clothes of the Levites? Uh, who who made their underwear? It was made by the people. The people were to sew the underwears of uh, the uh, ministers. Because they were naked. It's meant they had no power. They had no exercising authority. They could not force you to contribute to the welfare of your society. And who did they pick from? They picked from the Levites. Why? Because when they made the golden calf and all the wealth was pounded together in this golden calf, this central bank, this reserve fund, to bind the loyalty of the people by putting their wealth into one single treasury. Now they had to protect that, or they'd all be destitute. But when Moses called the people out, 
those Levites had to leave behind all their wealth, all the benefits of that centralized wealth and society. And they came out anyway. It wasn't just the Levites, but as a people, they were the most common ones who came out. But all those who came out became Levites. They became Levites by the way in which they acted, what they touched, just like the apostles became the ambassadors to Christ, the apostolos of Christ, because they left everything behind. They gave up their wealth. Silver and gold have I none. Can you leave that behind? Are you fit for the ministry of Christ? It's kind of scary with the congregations we're putting together now. <laughs> but uh, the fact is, is you have to be willing to step out on the water and, and go that way. And, and that will be a common theme on the, the festival this year, is this stepping out of ministers and forming that body, those dry bones coming together and seeing if we can't breathe or have the life of Christ breathed in us. God wants to do it. And the people must sow the the covering of the of the ministers of his church. They give us covering by bearing witness, these are my ministers. These are who I'm going to look to for faith, hope, and charity and the welfare of my society. And, and those ministers will repair the breaches of that society with the help of those congregations, of the people, for the people, by the people. This is, this is what we need to do in order to be a free society again. A lot of people think that they're, they're going to do it by electing a different leader. Look at your choices in the United States, in Australia. I don't know what the choices are in Australia. And I hear about the ones in the United States. I, I'm not political in the United States. I don't have any right to be political in the United States. I don't have any right to tell you who to vote for. I say vote for Christ. In Exodus 28:42 it says, And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. And the miter of the fine linen and goodly bonnets of fine linen and linen breeches of fine twined linen. Why? This is all symbolic of the nature of the church, the mechanics of the church. Is that symbolic of your ministers in the world, in your Congress, in whatever country you're in, and in your Senate, in whatever country you're in, in your Parliament, in whatever country you're in? Are those naked leaders? They have power. If you create offices of power, men who seek power will seek office. And they will seek in that office more power, like Ivan the Terrible, like Saul, 
like the pastors in your churches. You, you see these churches that give these pastors way too much power over their own thinking. They, they check their brains at the vestibule. And whatever the preacher says, they just do it like it's that's so because he's the preacher. We're supposed to listen to him. No, you're supposed to think. You're supposed to listen to the Holy Spirit in your own heart. God is building his church not on flesh and blood, but on the divine revelation that we see Peter, Simon, Barjona, knowing that something is right or right based on that revelation. And that's where we need to go. So gather together at hisholychurch.org and join the networking area and become a part of those seeking the way right. Till then, God bless. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks, Gregory. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.